did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we were eyewitnesses of his glory. Scripture actually says that we are eyewitnesses of his power and of his glory. We did not follow cleverly invented stories. I'm going to say a few things that seem all disconnected, but maybe they'll come together. I, I've, been, I've been known to, to tell a few cleverly invented stories. I'm, I'm not sure how clever they were. I, in one of the churches I pastored in Nova Scotia, I got up and I told this story. Now, to me, the story, you, if you believe the story, there's something wrong with you. But I told the story. And these people are very, were very compassionate people, very, uh, very, well, just nice people. And so I told the story about the guy, the, 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 the ancient, uh, not ancient, but a couple hundred years ago, a, a, a church was looking for a bell ringer to ring the bell on Sunday morning. And so they put a little ad out in the paper, you know, on a bulletin board and said, hey, we need to hire a bell ringer. And so nobody responded. Then on Friday, just before Sunday, the pastor hears a kind of a thump at the door, not a knock, but a thump. And he goes to the door and there is a man who unfortunately did not have any arms. And he said to the, the pastor, I'm here to apply for the job to ring the bell. And the pastor said, I don't mean to be rude or anything, but we really need somebody who's more ambulatory than you are. You need to be able to, you know, pull the rope to ring the bell. And the guy goes, listen, I'm just telling you, I can do this if you'll trust me. And the pastor said, well, okay, be here at 7.30 on Sunday morning and we'll see what you can do. So at 7.30 on Sunday morning comes, a, the pastor and he, the man stand at the base of where the belfry is, and they have this big rope. And the man says, well, obviously I can't pull that rope. He says, so I'm going to have to go up near the bell. And so they go all the way up the stairs to the bell, and he says to the pastor, now I'm going to show you, I can ring this bell. And so he takes, he walks over to where the bell is, and he takes his hand, head and just goes bang, right on the bell. And it makes this melodious ring. Oh, pastor said, this is amazing. But, you know, what about your head? He goes, no, no, I'm used to doing everything with my head, and now, you know, it just, it, it, I don't even feel it anymore. It's just, it's just, yeah. Well, the pastor said, it's really good. I'm, I'm just shocked, but could you ring it just a little bit louder? He said, no problem. So he steps one step back, and bang, bang, and the bell rings even louder, and he is going, this is amazing. And he said, your head's all right? Yeah, yeah, no problem. So he, he says, it's really good, and he said, I'm amazed, and we needed one, and nobody's applied, and you know, you're, the, you're our best shot, but listen, can you make it any louder at all? And the man says, Sure. Well, as you know, there's just a little bit of room in the belfry. And so he kind of runs around almost all around the bell, and he comes, and he's going to hit the bell with his head one more time. But as he does, he trips. And he crashes through the louvers that are in the belfry. 
and falls down into the parking lot below where the congregants are going to gather. The pastor down the stairs and runs out and finds the poor man is deceased. People are starting to gather and they're starting to come all around. They're saying, Pastor, this, this guy just crashed through. And Pastor said, I know. Pastor, this man is really badly injured. Pastor, I know. And, he, he, and then somebody gets down. Pastor, this man's dead. He goes, I know. Pastor, do you know the man's name? The pastor says, no, but his face rings a bell. When the man, when I told that story decades ago now to all these compassionate people, and you obviously are not compassionate because you're laughing. You don't care about people. My wife, she wanted to leave me because the people were all mad. People were mad because they got sucked into the story. And so I felt compelled the next week to finish the story. It's only part of the story. They still needed a bell ringer, so they put it in the advertisement in the newspaper, they put it in the bulletin board, and so on Friday, nobody shows up, but until Friday, and then there's a thump on the door, and pastor opens the door, and there's a man standing there, a similar situation as the previous man, no arms, he says, that was my brother. And he said, in, in deference to my brother, He says, and in, in memory of him, I want to take over. And the pastor said, well, I, I don't know. This hasn't really worked out for us. He said, but please, would you let me do this? So the pastor said, well, meet me here Sunday morning. They go up the belfry steps. He bangs the thing once. Yeah, that's nice. I can't believe you guys can do this. He bangs it twice. Wow, I can't believe this. He said, can you make it just a little bit louder? He says, sure. And he does the same thing. He runs around the bell. And again, I don't know what's happening. It's obviously a clumsy family. They tripped over his feet, crash right through the newly fixed louvers from last week, crashes through, ends up down in the parking lot. He runs down, same kind of thing. Pastor, this is the second week in a row. Somebody's falling for Yeah, I know. And Pastor, you know, do you, you know and, and by the way, Pastor, what's his name? He goes, I don't know, but he's a dead ringer to his brother. Anyway, um... <laughs> Okay, cleverly invented story. I, I, I've, been, I've been known to tell a couple of cleverly invented stories to my wife. My father teased my mother all our lives, and, and I, I picked up on that trait. I, I remember we went to this little island off the coast of New Brunswick where we lived. In New Brunswick, this, this island belonged to New Brunswick. It was, you know, and, but I told my wife, you have to change your clocks to go to this island. And we were there for a whole weekend. And you have, it's a half hour difference. And so she changed her clock. So everywhere we went, there was confusion. Because she's a person that loves to be on time. So for her, being late is being there 10 minutes before the thing is to begin. So we would be with people who, by the way, on this island were very relaxed. And so we were going to do things. And she'd be going, well, you know, and, 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 and of course, that would meant we were going to get to the place 40 minutes ahead of time instead of 10 minutes ahead of time. And the people were going, well, no, we don't need to, and, well, when she, yeah, but, and then she'd gotten kind of, and she's looking at me, come on, I don't want to be late, you know, I don't like being late. I'm saying, well, honey, you know, we're here, and we're these people's guests, and we can't really tell them what to do. And I remember when she finally figured it out that I had told her that it was a half an hour earlier or later or whatever, and I remember feeling her cold grip around my neck. 
The one I like the most is when, when I, for years, you know how you go to people's drive-by, you know, you're driving down a country road, oh, that's a nice house, or look at how they have their property. When people would have those gazebos, you know, those gazebos you, you sit out in and the mosquitoes bite you. And um, so they had these gazebos. Every time I saw one, literally for years, I would call it a Gestapo. <laughs> because I knew there was a day coming if I kept telling her it was a Gestapo, even though she knew it was a gazebo, and she knows that the Gestapo was a, a paramilitary force in the Second World War, because I'm a student in the Second World War, discuss that with her all the time, but I would call these things a Gestapo. I would call everyone, every time I see you. So one Sunday morning, we're standing at the front, just like this dear couple did. He'd never done this to you, sister. I know he'd never do it. He's, a, he, he's, he's afraid of you. And, um, and so, and so he, I'm standing there, I'm standing there, and, I, and she's, we have to give an announcement that this afternoon, there's going to be a prayer event for the city churches at downtown at the city's gazebo. And so she's, she's doing the announcements, and she turns to me, and she said, this is going to be at the gazebo. I said, yeah, at the Gestapo. It's going to be at the Gestapo this afternoon at 4 o'clock. She goes, okay. And she gets up, and she announces that the prayer event is going to be at the Gestapo. <laughs> and I am dying laughing. I am dying. I'm right out on the, right on the, on the, on the laying on the, on the seats. I'm just dying laughing. And then she realizes that she said Gestapo and not Gestibo. We have a very nice couch in one of the sheds in our backyard. <laughs> the people were mad at me. Like all the women in particular, like, how could you do this? And blah, 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 blah. And some of the men, of course, were trying to get my autograph. And um, uh, it, was, it was just bizarre that she finally, I mean, I've been working on this for literally more than a decade for this one mistake that she was going to make. And she made it so publicly. There's a God in heaven. He's on my side. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So my seminary degree is in Pentecostalism. I studied uh, all about Pentecostalism. You'll find that there's three cardinal things that Pentecostals did from the very beginning. Number one, believed in the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had this conviction, this ethos, that the world needs Jesus. The second thing, and we had it referenced here in, in, in that excellent testimony, the second thing is that the power of Holy Spirit coming on us gives us the power to preach Jesus. So, so we have the message, we have the power behind the message, but then there's a third part of what we believed as Pentecostals, was the urgency or the motivation of the message. And that was, Jesus is coming again. And it's interesting, and I won't bore you with a lot of kind of academic stuff, but I, I just want to say this, that, that in, in many of our so-called Pentecostal churches or, or churches that bear a, some sort of resemblance to Pentecost, we rarely hear a gospel message preached anymore. Secondly, we rarely hear a, a testimony like we just heard this week and the last time I was here uh, about, about Holy Spirit baptism, and rarely do we hear about the second coming of Jesus Christ. You see, I was raised in the 70s, that's the 1970s, not the 1870s, and I was raised in the 70s, and there was, you know, everybody was 
talking about the second coming of Christ. You remember that? And remember all the, the kind of the urban gospel folklore? You know, the guy hitchhiking, he gets picked up by the hippies. They're going across. All the hippies in the West Coast are coming east, and all the hippies in the East Coast are going west. They were looking for soap. And so they were going back and forth. And, and, and so, so the hippies get picked up. By, a, by somebody who turns out to be a Jesus person and he's in the back of the, you know, and he tells them the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ and he says, Jesus is coming soon, right? And they're just like that. And conviction falls in that little Volkswagen beetle, right? The hippie and his old lady are there driving in the front, you know, and they're saying, hey, man, you got any bread? Far out, groovy and all that. And, and then what happens? He disappears. You've heard that story, right? The guy disappears. That story was told over and over again. I don't know. It never happened to me. I was just a straight Pentecostal kid with short hair. But, um, you know, that whole idea of the second coming permeated our theology. Jesus was coming again. You know, again, just let me digress into another thought. The pandemic great event in human history. It'd be interesting. Literally thousands of dissertations, doctoral dissertations will be written about the pandemic as it relates to the economy, as it relates to epidemiology, as it relates to all kinds of things, and the uncertainty, what, it, you know, what the pandemic did or didn't do, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not here to make comments about the pandemic other than to say it did cause us great, great uncertainty. People are really needing to feel some sort of assurance, some sort of stability, and yet everything seems to be moving. Scripture talks about it as, as shaking. This is not unlike Matthew chapter 16. The disciples were faced with this very thing. You know the discussion well. You read it. You've heard it preached on. Uh, who do men say that I am? Matthew 16. Who do men say that I am? Jesus asking the disciples, and of course, Peter responding first says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And you'll notice that what Jesus says back to him, he says, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father who's in heaven. There may be a screen for that, I'm not sure. So it wasn't revealed to you by flesh and blood. Now here's the deal. Understand this, beloved brothers and sisters, that what we really need is not more knowledge, although we, we're not hurt by knowledge. And in fact, one of the prophets said, my, my people are perishing because of a lack of knowledge. But having said that, let me remind you that what I really need is a divine encounter of a living God. You see, I can cram my cranium full of knowledge, but if I don't have an experience that, that, that bespeaks of that encounter with God. He says, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, Peter, but this came as the divine revelation. You've had a supernatural encounter with God who showed you something that you heretofore would never have experienced had he not had this divine revelation of God. Very, very key that we have divine revelations from God, that we don't just have a kind of a cerebral faith. And then there's the scripture from Matthew 16, which gives you some, some kind of curious verses that have to be considered. Here is one of them. From that time on, 
Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Notice the first uh, few words of, of that scripture, from that time on. There's a new emphasis in Jesus' preaching here. His preaching is different. He's going from this time on. You see, I used to preach this, this, and this, but then we went into a brand new series of sermons, and they are now emphasizing a a total different thing that we were emphasizing before. Jesus says, my preaching emphasis is going to change now. My preaching emphasis is going to change and I'm, not going to, I'm going to move from a kingdom preaching emphasis, the nature of the kingdom. And up to this point, he teaches about the nature of the kingdom. But now from here on in, he's going to preach about the cross. Hold it. I thought I was going to be a part of a kingdom. I thought I was going to ride around a chariot. People are going to go, hail Peter, hail Bartholomew, hail Simon the Zella, hail John, hail James. No, no, no. Jesus says, hey, this thing is leaving the kingdom emphasis and is now going to the crucifixion emphasis and boil oh boy, does this ever mess up our theology? Does this ever mess up my anticipation? I was expecting this, but I'm getting something else. I thought we were going to be kingdom people. I thought we were going to have this high place in government. But no, no, no. We must go to Jerusalem. We must suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. This kind of shatters what I thought was going to happen. He took them from that kingdom theology and led them into a time of insecurity. Well, you know the rest of the story. The rest of the story is Peter gets him aside after telling him, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You know that Peter gets him aside and says, no, Lord, you're not going to die. What a crazy thing. What have you been drinking? And, uh, you know, he kind of rebukes him. Can you imagine Peter rebuking the Lord? And what does the Lord say to him? He says, get behind me, Satan. Kind of took a nasty turn there, you know. Simon, uh, son of Jonah, you flesh and blood didn't reveal to this. You had a revelation from God. Now he's calling him Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have the mind uh, in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Hey, he was thinking about himself. That really isn't what I had planned. Then Jesus says to his disciple, however, wants to be my disciple, has to deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. So, hey, not only am I going to go to the cross, but you're going to be uh, uh, going to the cross. What a premonition into his life, right? Peter's life when he would be hung upside down on the cross when he gave his life up for the gospel many years later. But then you have this other interesting phrase that's neat. Truly I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. We've gone from kingdom theology to a theology of the cross, but now he's promising that the Son of Man is going to come in in his kingdom, and some of them who are standing there right now won't taste death death until they see him coming in his kingdom. This is terribly confusing. 
how's this, how's, are they going to live? You know, is, is Peter, James, and John or somebody still living today after all these years waiting for the second coming of Christ? By the way, they expected the second. See, we have this view based on 2,000 years of waiting for the second coming of Christ. We have this view that, that it was going to be a long time. But I remind you, in their day, they expected to see Jesus go, but they expected him to come back in their own lifetime. This same Jesus whom you've seen go away will one day come again just as you've seen him go. He's coming back again. They expected it. They didn't expect this 2,000 years to elapse. But he says, truly I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. How can this be? These guys all eventually died. But Jesus is saying something here. And he's saying this, there's nothing quite like being there. So then you have to go to the next chapter. As you know, the Bible wasn't written with chapters and verses. You know that Matthew never wrote Matthew chapter 16. Let me tell you verse 1 what I'm going to say, verse 2 what I'm going to say, verse 3 what I'm going to say. You know that it was one continuous narrative. And in the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, immediately after the Matthew 16 story is told, the Matthew 17 story is told in every one of those synoptic Gospels. After six days, Jesus says, come on up with me, boys. I want to, see, I want to go on a little trip with some of you. Interesting, he doesn't take all of them. So you go back to the last verse of Matthew 16, some of you who are standing here, he doesn't take all of them. But on, the, on chapter 17, he says, come up with me, boys. I've got something to show you. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and the brother of James, and led them up into a high mountain by themselves. And there he was transfigured. This word transfigured, some people use as the same as transformed. There's a little more deeper meaning here. Transfigured means that what, has, what is on the inside is now starting to come out. They saw Jesus for the first time, the real Jesus. They couldn't have stand it to be with the real Jesus all the time. But the scripture says he was transfigured. That is, what was really in him started to come out, and they saw him unveiled. He was veiled with humanity. Now he's unveiled before him. And they see this extremely different individual, yet the same individual. He was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as light. His white as light. And then, just then, there appeared before them Moses, Elijah, talking with Jesus. This would have been an amazing day for them. I mean, to see Jesus the way they saw him, that was amazing. But then to see Moses, the great deliverer of Israel, to see Moses? Now, I'm wondering, I, I kind of wonder, how did they know it was Moses? You know, did they have a picture? Hey, let me see, let me check your ID. Uh, uh, you know, well, how did they know it was Moses? But somehow they, they, they were aware this was Moses. Maybe, maybe they knew what Charleston Heston looked like. I don't know, but they, there he was. You have to be old to understand that joke. Okay, I, under, I understand that. And, and, then, and then, how did they know it was Elijah? But they knew it was Elijah. And it's interesting, Moses was a great type of Christ. He is the deliverer of Israel. He was the one who led them through and brought them into the promised land. That is Jesus in our lives. He leads us through our wilderness, brings us into our promised land, and is in fact our deliverer. 
Elijah, another one who is considered to be that last Old Testament prophet who was to represent Christ. And there he is as a represent the Messiah who was yet to come. So here's the real Messiah talking to the two prototype Messiahs who were the prominent figures of the Old Testament. And we know that Elisha was not, uh, Moses was too, but we know that Elisha was known for the miraculous and the supernatural. And here they are standing there chatting with Jesus. And then this is what the scripture says. Peter says to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Like, duh. He's running off at the mouth like a soup sandwich, baby. He, is, he just has to say something. It's good for us to be here. It is good for us to be here. Really? There's been a few times in my life I've been around important people like Keith Deal, and it's a very, very, uh, it's a very, very wonderful experience. And I brag about knowing Keith Deal. I try to get reductions at, at Starbucks saying, "Hey, I'm a friend of Keith's." And the guy always says to me, "Hey, can you pay for the last time he was here?" Because he walked out on us, and um, <laughs> and so, so. You know, and I've been around some people from time to time who, who are impressive people. And, and you know what? I say to myself, wow, I'm, I'm in the presence of I'm some impressive people. This is really wonderful. And in a little bit, in a few days, we'll be with some folks that are kind of high profile. I'll be with some other folks a little later that are, that are high profile. I'm going, wow, this is really an amazing opportunity for me. And I'm going, it is good for me to be here. Now, my, mo- my mother, my wife, on the other hand, not to be confused with my mother, although I often do. Uh, my, 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 my wife, on the other hand, is impressed by nobody. I asked her one time, I used to travel a lot, and I still do travel some now, but I used to travel a lot, and I asked her, I said, did, did you miss me when I was gone? She said, well, I noticed you weren't here. Hmm. We've got to love that woman, the passion that's in our relationship. Baby, it's good for us to be here, Peter says. It is good for us to be here. And then Peter says, well, hey, it's not only good for us to be here, but let's stay. Let's just, you know, Peter had a wife, he had a mother-in-law. That's why Jesus, that's why Peter was mad at Jesus, because he healed his mother-in-law. Anyway, um, uh, but Jesus, you know, he was ready to give it all up. He was ready to give it all up, baby. Let's just build ourselves three houses. I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elisha, obviously a spare bedroom for each one of us. He was, man, his mind was just, whew. And, and by the way, with his mind came his mouth, you know, and sometimes even before his mind came his mouth. And he, blah, 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 blah. And the scripture says that while he was still speaking, he gets interrupted. My granddaughter probably was there. He gets interrupted. A bright cloud covered them. So this hume, luminescent cloud envelops them. And a voice from the cloud says, This is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. Peter gets interrupted in the middle of his 
his running off of the mouth like a soup sandwich. He gets interrupted with that whole deal. And, and somehow the sovereign of the universe interrupts him and says, you're missing something here. You're missing the point. This is my son whom I love. I'm, with him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, the scripture says what? They fell face down to the ground and were terrified. It's interesting, they weren't terrified when they saw Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. They were terrified when they heard the voice affirm the authority of the Son of God and God the Son. And the scripture says that Jesus came and he touched them. He said, don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Can I just be candid with you? I'm so sick of celebrity culture. I don't really care how many people are at J-Lo and what the other Bubba's name is. He's marrying J-Lo. Ben A. Isn't that the duck that goes whack, whack, and Aflac insurance and all that? Is that the same thing? Anyway, she's marrying a duck. Um, and I don't really care. I don't really care. I'm so sick of sports stars. Listen, friends, I don't follow a lot of sports, but I do follow hockey. But, you know, the, the interesting thing about hockey was in years gone by, hockey used, to be, hockey used to be all about the team, and it used to be all about, you know, the, you know we did this, and collectively we did that. But now, now, hockey is taking more, more of a, a culture of the superheroes, and look at me, and blah, blah, blah. I was watching an interview with, with Wayne Gretzky, with the one called The Great One, and uh, he was being interviewed recently, and, and, you know, they were basically fawning over him. And everything they said that kind of fawned over him, he didn't deny that he did, he did score all these goals, and he did have all these records, but he always used to kind of, well, hey, I had some great teammates, and, and don't forget, you know, that, that, that in that period in the NHL, it was easier to do this, and, but now you see stars just kind of lavishing it on themselves, and their ego is bigger than, the, and is, is far greater than their skill, and it's just overwhelming, and yet we're filling our minds and our homes full of, full of the culture of, of me, 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 and look how great I am, and we're following the Kardashians, I'm not sure why, I don't know what they do for a living, I'm not sure they know what they do for a living, but they're making a great living. If running around in your underwear can make you a great living, I should try. Oh, no, no, no. I... <sighs> you like seeing the Pillsbury Doughboy in his underwear, you know. I'm just sick of celebrity culture. I'm not impressed with it. It does nothing for me. It does not interest me. An ambulance, I read a headline this morning, was seen leaving the J-Lo Ben Affleck wedding place. I, that's, I only read the headline. Isn't that interesting? I got to get down there and find out who was in the ambulance. Who cares? Now, I hope that person is fine. I hope they, they turn out. But I'm not interested. And friends... We ought not to be either. Can I just tell you, some of us are enamored with things that we ought not to be enamored with. We're impressed with stuff that's unimpressive. We're blown away by things that shouldn't even matter to us. 
celebrity culture doesn't matter, but then bring it over into the church. We have celebrity culture in the church. I mean, I always try to think of what would Keith Deal wear to church here at Community Worship Center, you know? And I could never be as cool as him, you know? I wear old man cargo pants. He wears skinny jeans with nice holes in them. He paid $300 for those jeans. I don't get it. I look, when I go look for clothes, I look for the clothes that don't have the holes in them. But even in the church, we have these celebrities. What's his name? Every time I get into my car and my wife's been driving, I, I, always, get, I always have the, the, the same channel that I have to, 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 to change. Sometimes I don't change it. Sometimes I listen to it. But what's his name? <laughs> Everything's going to turn out great, man. <laughs> and, you know, just welcome. We welcome you to our... Who, who are we talking about? Yeah. Uh, I can't believe you said that. It's terrible. And then what's her name? What's her name? Oh, she talks like this. Uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, she talks like this and tells you that you're all a son of a motherless goat. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, Joyce. Yeah, Joyce. And, and we have all these people that we hold in high esteem. And listen, friends, I've listened to Joyce Meyer. I actually think she has an excellent ministry. I, I, listen, to, I listen to Joel Nowhere near as much as my wife does, but we listen to Joel. I don't have any problem with. I need I need that positive stuff. I you know, and I don't I don't have a problem with Joel. Some people do, and that's fine. I'm just saying, at some point, we do not need a Joel Osteen-centered gospel. We do not need a Joyce. Myers-centered gospel. We do not need a Bethel-centered gospel. We do not need a global awakening-centered gospel. And by the way, I, I enjoy all those ministries, but I need a Christocentric a gospel, a gospel that puts Jesus first. And so while I'm enamored with, with Moses, and while I'm enamored with Elisha, and they're standing there talking to Jesus, a cloud is about to envelop us. And in that cloud, we're going to get some holy terror come into our lives, and we're going to fall down prostate and we're going to hear the voice of the Spirit of God saying this is my son whom I love with him I'm well pleased listen to him listen to my son my son is the one who brings salvation and healing and deliverance and pours out himself and starts Christian schools and pours out his spirit on students my son is the one who does this listen to him Listen to this Jesus. Listen to him. You see, it was my son who took my sin so I could take his salvation. It was my son who, who, who took my sickness so he, I could take his healing. It was my son who took my sorrow so I could take his peace. It was my son who took my weakness so I could take his strength. It was my son who took my bondage so I could take his freedom. It was Jesus who did that. And yet, it is the enemy who would do everything he can to obscure Jesus, to get us, get our eyes on everything but Jesus. And it was God who came and said, Peter, shut up. This is my son. Listen to him.
The Apostle Peter writes to the church over which he had influence in Asian Minor. The foundations of the early church were being shaken. Before his death upside down on a cross, Peter writes to them and encourages them. And he was deeply impacted. This wasn't a minor experience in Peter's life because decades later, this is what he wrote. I quoted part of it earlier. For we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and he received glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Peter leaves out the part that says, listen to him. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were on that sacred mountain. It changed his life. It changed his focus. I'm arguing for a Christocentric gospel, not a, even a miracle-centered gospel, not even a Holy Spirit-centered gospel. I'm not arguing just for a signs of the gospel. I'm arguing for the person of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus himself. You say, what's, the, what's this got to do with me? I'm just telling you that unless we handle this right, we could have our craniums filled with facts. We can have our, the rigor of our lifestyle and our environment filled with religious activities. But we could miss Jesus. We could miss him. It was not a cleverly invented story, Peter says. It wasn't a cleverly invented story. Peter was saying, I was there. I saw it. I was one of the three that Jesus said, some of you who are standing here right now will not taste death before you see the Son of Man coming in his glory. They had just saw the Son of Man coming in his glory. They saw him. They saw him transfigured. They saw the radiance of, of who he was shining out from within. It was brilliant beyond belief. They saw him. So much so they were ready to give it all up and stay there. And then they see Moses and Elisha, but Moses and Elisha disappear. And in the end, after being terrified, hearing the voice, what's the scripture say? They look up from their terror, and who do they see? Only Jesus. Here's the practical part of all this for you. Here's the so what. What you ask yourself at the end of every sermon is so what? What has this got to do with me? We all listen to the, the same radio station, WIIFM. What's in it for me? This is what's in it for you. When you look up from the terror of that diagnosis from the doctor that says you only have this long to live, when you look up from the terror, may you not see a doctor or a medical report. May you see Jesus. When you look at your finances after you've been to all those doctors and they're stacked up this high and it's overwhelming to you, May you see Jesus. When you pray to, for your children, till it seems like you can't pray anymore. May you look up 
and not see in your mind's eye a bunch of drunken or wayward or recalcitrant, rebellious children, but may you see Jesus. When you look up from the ashes of that broken marriage, may you see Jesus. For they came, the Greeks did, and they said to Andrew and Philip, we would see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. Is there anybody in this house today who would say, I want to see Jesus? I want to see Jesus. I've got to see Jesus. A celebrity is not going to do it. A Christian celebrity or a secular celebrity is not going to do it. Me babbling on, making no sense, just making up stuff is not going to do it. In fact, I invite you, Holy Spirit, interrupt me now. So that when I look up from the terror of my circumstance, I see Jesus. So we end with two points. Number one, may you see Jesus. Nothing else but Jesus. And number two, be convinced and be encouraged that this same Jesus who you saw go away will one day come again. Jesus is coming again. He's coming again. He's not coming for just a bunch of discouraged and beleaguered individuals, but he's coming for those, the scripture says, who are waiting for him. Are you waiting for Jesus? Are you telling your kids, kids, maybe, maybe I won't see you after school because maybe Jesus is going to come. I remember coming home from after school. We've all got maybe a story like this. Mom, I'm home. Used to terrify her. Mom! Home! Mom! It's me, PD! Mom! Mom, where are you? Then going from room to room and can't find mom. I don't know if you ever had that experience or not. I saw my two brothers there. That was no comfort. <laughs> no comfort at all, those two. I got to think of maybe Jesus came took mom and I didn't make it. No, I want you to know I want to be assured. Kids, Jesus is taking care of us. He's coming back again. For there is a blessed time of coming and it's coming soon. It may be evening, morning, or at noon. It's the wedding of the bride united with the groom. What? We shall see the king when he comes. Jesus is coming again. Unto him be glory in the church. I said, unto him be glory in the church. I say, unto him be glory in the church. Jesus is coming again. Hallelujah. Blessings on you. In Jesus' name.